As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thank you, as always, for joining me here on the program. We are getting into another pregame edition of the Buffalo Beat. This time, the Bills are preparing for their Week 8 matchup against the suddenly struggling Green Bay Packers, who are 3-4. and four. Uh, they definitely do not want to do the same thing as Tampa Bay did on Thursday night and and fall even further into the losing uh, losing side of things for the season. And we are now nearing the midway point for a lot of teams, and uh, and it's starting to get real uh, for what could be and what might not be um, this season so far. We have seen some teams call it; uh, others have uh, have certainly, you know tried to climb their way back into it but I think this weekend is going to be a pretty big one for a lot of different franchises and the uh but before we get into Green Bay the matchup and everything that that they've got going on which by the way um uh my buddy who covers the Packers for us at the Athletic Matt Schneidman will be joining us and uh, he's he's been kind of he's covered teams all over the country. He actually started in Buffalo at an internship, um, so it, it's going to be great to get Matt on and catch up with him a little bit. Hear about what uh, what's going on with those three and four Packers. So that's going to be coming up in a little bit. But uh, they're one of those teams right now where they're trying to figure what out what they're going to be the rest of the way, like. If the Packers lose this game, do they go into the trade deadline as buyers? Uh, we know the Bills should be buyers because they're five and one and heading into a game where they're a double-digit favorite at home. It, it, it looks like the recipe is there for them to become six and one by the end of things. So, yeah, it's it's a it's an intriguing time not just for these two teams, but like. We talked about it last episode. The Raiders, if they lose to the Saints, they're now two and six on the season. The Broncos, if they lose to the Jaguars, they're two and six on the season. So it just feels like something's got to give this weekend, and it can really start to formulate this this trade deadline. As we kind of went over uh, a bunch of options for the Bills on the last episode uh, at length, but I do think there's some crossover between what we talked about last week and what we can keep an eye on heading into this game. And that's really where my mind is the most because, you know, not to spoil the pick, but I think the Bills are in a pretty good position for this game. It's just a matter of how they get there. And as long as they, you know, play up to their capabilities, it should go their way. But that said, I do think there are things that we can learn and that they can learn, really, heading into their what could be a final time to add something really significant to their roster for a Super Bowl run. And I look at three different positions that I think 
the Bills are going to be able to uh, get a pretty good handle on as to you know as to how they perform against the Packers certainly, but how it can translate, how it can project into the late stages of the 2022 regular season, and then certainly into the playoffs. It's for them. I think they they need as much body of work as possible, but you know you, you can never count out something popping up in that final week and being like, okay, well, this happened, so we need to address this. I think for for what they're doing, they, these are some of the issues that we we talked about on the last show, and it just so happens that the the matchup is pretty glaring to either show that those things that maybe we perceived as a weakness is actually a strength or the opposite that if it's if it's uh definitely a weakness or if it we thought it was a weakness and then it crystallizes as a weakness that could empower Brandon Bean and the Bills to make a move at that certain position so the three that I've got kind of got my eye on for this game are at Right tackle, because it really looks like Spencer Brown is not going to play uh, in this game. It's at slot receiver uh, with um, what's going on there with Isaiah McKenzie and Khalil Shakir. And it's also at running back with what's going on with Devin Singletary. And these are three of the positions that I went over in that last show. But I think this matchup in particular is is pretty good for, for all three. And, you know... I. I'll start with the receivers because it's probably the sexiest position of of the trio. And we just saw Kadarius Toney get moved by the Giants to the Chiefs. It was a pretty large compensation for a guy who barely got on the field the last couple of years. But the talent is pretty crazy on him. And the ability to separate and yards after the catch, he's, he's insanely talented in that way. It just needs a team to get the most out of him. But it's those types of moves that are a little bit buzzy. And the reason why I'm looking at this game in particular as to a way that it could help sway what the Bills do one way or the other is because I think the Bills have an exploitable matchup against the Packers nickel corner, Razul Douglas. You know, he's a bit of a a bigger guy you know they they primarily keep Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes on the boundary as as their corners and they have they've had Razul Douglas on the inside at nickel and I think with some of the explosiveness that Isaiah McKenzie has and you know some of the shiftiness that Khalil Shakir has I think that is a matchup that that both of those guys can win but a lot remains to be seen in this game because we need to find out a how much each guy's play each each guy plays because you know that was kind of muddied by the end of the Kansas City game when Shakir was getting closer and closer to the snap count with uh with McKenzie over the final three series and then b who plays better between the two and if they don't get much production out of the position at all. I think that would be a pretty glaring thing uh, for the Bills to see, especially when the Packers have allowed a lot of explosive plays uh, this year. There are the the high percentages of, of explosive plays. So these are when you when you analyze what could come to pass with the trade deadline sometimes what has happened most recently to your roster is enough of an emphasis to facilitate a move so that's why if McKenzie and Shakir don't show up or if they you know just give them minimal production and it's just like you know it's pretty obvious that the Bills would be able to do a lot better at that slot receiver position just at just in 2022 alone. Then all bets are off for the trade deadline because there are some guys out there that that uh, they could get as a slot receiver to come in and 
potentially be that third guy to Gabriel Davis and, and Stefan Diggs. So th- there's a lot of pressure on those two guys this week. Certainly a lot of pressure on McKenzie because of his last showing. And there's going to be opportunity too because... This is a Packers team that blitzes a ton. They blitz at the second highest rate in the NFL behind only the Giants. And the Packers were, I believe, at a little over 40%, according to True Media. So there will be opportunities. You know Jair Alexander is probably going to be with Stefan Diggs all the time. You know Eric Stokes is probably going to be with Gabe Davis all the time on the boundary. So wherever McKenzie and Shakir line up, they're going to have that winnable matchup and likely in a one-on-one scenario. And a lot of times in man coverage. So big week for both those guys, especially when, you know, we'll know early on if the Broncos, uh, if they lose because they're playing in London at with a 9.30 start on Sunday, they're going up against the Jaguars. They lose that one. Whew. That's that's going to be a, a tough blow based on all their expectations heading into the season. So very much like the Jerry Judy becomes a possibility if they go two and six. Heck, he might even be a possibility if they win that game. It just at three and five they wouldn't be out of it, but two and six they would feel out of it. There's there's a big difference between those two, especially eight games into a season and seeing how talented the AFC is and how teams are starting to, uh, you know, starting to rise in, in the conference. It's a big game for both those squads really, but more so Denver. So just keep an eye, keep an eye on it. If they lose, then that opens things up a little bit more. And then what happens with Shakir McKenzie? That's, that's another thing entirely. The running back spot is the other one, uh, well, not just on offense, but the other skill position. And most of their trade deadline needs, I feel like, are on the offensive side of the ball, which kind of feels weird because they're such a dynamic offense, but it just kind of feels like they're one thing shy, or not, not even that. If they get one more thing, it could put them over the top. That's... That's really what I'm getting at more than anything. So Devin Singletary will get another crack at at being the guy against a Packers team that just allowed the Commanders to run pretty well against them this past week. The, The Packers have a really good defensive line. But their defense hasn't been nearly as dominant as I thought they would be coming into the season. You know, I thought that was pro- that would be the reason that even without the offensive skill players that they've had in recent years, that that would be part of the reason that the Packers would be able to still be a, a really great team uh, this year. But it just it hasn't happened. I mean, the Commanders rushed for 166 yards on them. Brian Robinson averaged 3.7 yards a carry. Antonio Gibson averaged 5.9 yards a carry. So 38 carries for 166 yards. They just had trouble getting off the field. So Singletary will have some opportunities here, I think. Or at least he should. It's not as though the commander's offensive line is this overwhelming unit that can help. I would say the Bills are probably better along the offensive line or on par with with what Washington has. And so knowing what we know from that perspective and that the Packers have been have struggled in that department, we need to see maybe what yards are left on the field with Singletary. And again, in this the guy that I brought up in the last episode was Josh Jacobs. If the Raiders were to lose and go 2-6, and six, then all of a sudden, maybe Josh Jacobs is available on the market. 
But Singletary, I think he's going to be a piece of this offense regardless of what happens at the trade deadline. It's just a matter of if they feel like that that extra back, which they have expressed interest in in bringing in as late as this season, you know, within the last week or so in the McCaffrey sweepstakes, then we'll find out what they really think about about the room. But if they're struggling to run and it puts a little bit more pressure on them to pass and because the Packers are have such good pass rushers and then they blitz on top of it, that could cause a little bit of a slow start against uh, against the Packers. And there's one pass rusher in particular that I'll that I'll get into that you know, could influence things, but you know another guy like Kenny Clark on the interior, he's he's just awesome and could give them problems between the tackles. But the one thing about like a a top end runner is that they can maximize those those plays where you think all hope is lost. And it's not even like, oh, they're going to grab a 10-yard gain on those. It's getting to the line of scrimmage or or pushing forward for two, three, four yards. That's really what it, what it boils down to. And then having the game-breaking element to their game as well. And then in a guy like, like Jacobs, that goal line element to take just another thing off of... Uh, Josh Allen's plate. We all know that they've been pretty bad in third and one situations this season. They haven't felt confident in running it straight at the defense because it just hasn't gone well for them. And I think part of that has been the push up front, which has been better, by the way. Their last two weeks, their their run blocking has been a lot better. But I think it's also partially having to do with the decisiveness of, of the backs and the skill set of the backs. So big week for Devin Singletary as well. If he shows well, he could convince the Bills and say, look, you don't need another running back. Forget all that nonsense. I'm your guy. But if there's some struggles, opens things up. And then the last piece of the offense that I think is important to this game is uh, David Quesenberry, who will be likely be starting for Spencer Brown at right tackle. I'm recording this around 9.30 a.m. Uh, on Friday. Sean McDermott is going to speak in a little bit, but um, we'll find out exactly what what is going on with Spencer Brown. But he hasn't practiced, uh, didn't seem close to practicing the last couple of days. So I would anticipate that Brown uh, will not play in this game, which means David Quesenberry would likely draw the start because both times that Spencer Brown has had to leave the game, it was Quesenberry that went in for him. And it did not go particularly well in those two games. The Dolphins game was a mess for Quesenberry. It was for a lot of the offensive line in his defense, but there were constant pressures being let up in that game and then against the Chiefs had a little over I think 40 snaps in that game and let up one of the biggest plays of the game for the Chiefs that could have cooked the Bills you know a lot of things led up to that point of course but on third down allowing an instant pressure to Chris Jones Allen tries to get away from him. Jones tripped him, which no doubt was a missed call. But that's still a sack allowed by Quesenberry because he got beat at the line of scrimmage. And in those moments, you cannot have that. And it's been pretty indicative of the overall lacking of depth along that offensive line. And Quesenberry, if... All things go well for uh, for the Packers here. He'll be up against one of the best pass rushers, as, be, best 
edge rushers, I should say, in the league in Rashawn Gary. He uh, Gary started in concussion protocol to begin the week, did not practice on Wednesday. He did practice on, on Thursday. You know, if, if he gets another practice in on Friday, he could be cleared by Saturday and then and then there's then he would be available for the game. Usually if players in concussion protocol practice on Thursday, it's a positive sign. It's not a foolproof thing for them to play, but it's usually a pretty good indicator most times that that player should be good. So we'll see, but if he's out there, that is a headache and a half for Quesenberry, for Josh Allen, and everybody involved in the offense because that is a major league mismatch. And if Gary has the type of game that I think he can against Quesenberry, it could force Bean's hand into making a, a move at the deadline for another offensive tackle. They just don't have depth there. They lost Tommy Doyle for the year to a torn ACL. You know, Spencer Brown is dealing with an ankle injury, and who knows how that's going to impact him once he gets back on the field. Quesenberry has not been good. Bobby Hart probably don't want him playing more than his uh, his tight end snaps that he comes in when they announce that uh, 68 is an eligible receiver. They got they have nothing behind those guys. Justin Murray, he was a free agent like weeks into the season. I'm just. I think it is a, a major liability with the Bills. And if Gary has the type of game that I think he can, then that might be all Brandon B needs to see to make some kind of move there. Because at least with the interior, they have Ike Butker on the back burner where they know they can trust him. They don't know what he's going to be once he gets back all the way from his, his uh, torn Achilles, but that's at least something, some sort of addition to the depth. So maybe they feel like they can get away with not addressing the interior depth, but tackle it's David Quesenberry. And that's it. There is not a ton past that. And Quesenberry has been one of my lowest graded players on the year when, when he's been in there. So it could be a, uh, a pretty alarming showing or maybe these problems that the Bills could potentially have, maybe they prove to be uh, not as big of a deal based on what we see on Sunday, which is why I find this game compelling for the game in itself, obviously, but the ramifications from what could happen on Sunday, I think are, are pretty large heading into the deadline. So that's just where my brain is uh, heading into things. And I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss it once we get to the, the post game show um, after things are done, probably into the wee hours of the morning. All right, next up, we're going to speak with, uh, our guy, Matt Schneidman, who covers the Packers for The Athletic, does a great job doing that. And uh, that'll be right after this. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. And now with uh, with one of my uh, my favorite guys at the Athletic, he does an awesome job covering the Packers. Um, very, you know, known for his clothing on the sidelines at practices, his Crocs. If you follow him on Twitter, um, Matt Schneidman uh, of the Athletic. What's up, Matt? Thanks for joining the show. How are you? How are you doing? That that listen, I've gotten a bunch of questions about that from listeners of of my podcast. That was kind of. Uh, a 2020-2021 thing. Okay. I've, I've put the Crocs and the tracksuits to bed. That was just kind of to lighten the mood during during COVID times. Okay. We're all business now, but I'm excited to talk about this game. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, listen, just a couple weeks ago, I thought this was going to be the 5-1 and one Bills, I guess, since they already had their bye week, versus the 6-1 and one Packers mm-hmm. because they were 3-1 and one with games against the Giants, Jets, and Commanders. But now it's the three and four Packers, so an interesting twist to this. Yeah, so I guess the the best question to ask is, what the hell happened? Uh, they stink in all three phases <laughs> is what happened, and I don't think that's putting it lightly. The offense is really, really bad. Um, Aaron Rodgers hasn't been great. Maybe that's just because we, we hold him to such a high standard because he's won the MVP the last two years. But he has admitted, you know, he's had some off throws. He's got to be more on the details. The big thing he keeps bringing up is these mental mistakes. And and in past years, they've had, you know, at most seven mental mistakes per game. And we're talking about wrong routes, missed blocking assignments, not physical things, just things that you're supposed to know based on your preparation throughout the week. And, And he said on Pat McAfee show earlier this week that this year they're routinely in the double digits. And last Sunday in their 23-21 loss to the commanders in which they led 14 to three at one point, he said about 20% of their offensive plays featured mental mistakes and they were 0 for six on third down. They had not gone a game without converting a third down since 1999 Mm. when Brett Favre was the quarterback in a 23 to seven loss against the Broncos. I mean, it's really bad. The defense plays well in first halves, but They just collapse in the second half of pretty much every game. Um, Certainly the last three ones, the offense doesn't sustain drives, so they don't give the defensive break. Special teams, who was the worst unit in the league last year um, across the NFL, they started well this year, but they've kind of unraveled the past couple games. Their punt returner, Amari Rogers, can't hold on to the ball. It's just a bad, bad situation all around here in Green Bay. But Aaron Rodgers said it, said it multiple times in the past week. Maybe finally being an underdog when nobody thinks you're going to win is the best thing for them because that has been a situation they found themselves in so rarely over the past couple of years. And who knows? Maybe it sparks something in them this week. I don't think it does, but who mm-hmm. knows? We've seen we've seen stranger in the NFL. Yeah, the line started at ten and a half. It's crawled to eleven and a half in some places. Yeah. Like it's I, I like you. I'm I'm not used to seeing an Aaron Rodgers team being that heavily uh, pushed aside. But I guess when when I when I watched. A, a few of their games the like you pointed out the offense is so void of playmakers outside of Aaron Jones it 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 almost feels like if you stop Aaron Jones you're probably going to stop the entire Packers offense is that is that a fair sentiment yes i think so you know AJ Dillon hasn't been as good this year um he doesn't rank nearly as high in yards per contact yards after let me get this right. It's very early still. It's nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Yards per rush after contact. That's what I meant. And you would think a guy built like him is able to break tackles, get a couple more yards. But Aaron Jones has actually been much better in that regard. Listen, they have some reliable pass catchers. Robert Tunyon, their tight end, who tore his ACL last year, is still kind of working his way back to true form. Some promising wide receivers in Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, the two rookies. Alan Lazard, who has been the self-touted number one receiver, Aaron Rodgers has built him as that too. 
I don't think he's a true number one receiver, but he's just what they have. He's number one on their depth chart. So technically he is Randall Cobb. He's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, He's old. He's on IR right now. And, you know, my story today, Sammy Watkins is coming into his old home for the first time since leaving there (laughs) as the number one wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers. So that's kind of, with all due respect to Sammy Watkins, that is the state of their playmaking core right now. It's not good. Um, Aaron Jones, so there's been a lot of talk about they don't give him the ball enough, but listen, you can only give a guy the ball so many times before the other team knows what you're doing. And I, I expect to see a heavy dose of him, but listen, maybe this is the Sammy Watkins revenge game. Who knows? That would be something if, if it was, because Sammy does not look like the Sammy I saw back in no. 2017. <laughs> it's, it's a much different Sammy these days. Um, but yeah, they... The, the rookie receivers, I, I think the the Dubs one is, is one that kind of interests me most because they've given him such a high percentage snap roll uh, this year. And I don't there was one play. I don't know if if this is one of the things Rodgers was talking about where it looked like Dubs was wide open, uncovered, deep. Yeah. And then he ran into ran into coverage in the middle of the field and Aaron threw him the way he was supposed to run. I wonder if that's like maybe one of those things that he's talking about because that looked like a touchdown. Yeah, so uh, Matt LaFleur has since explained that play to us. Dobbs ran the correct route on that play. Sure. Um, but the discussion since then has been, well, maybe a more veteran wide receiver mm-hmm. realizes the bust in coverage that the commanders had and mid play realizes to adjust the route to where the quarterback sees the opening. Now, um, I don't know if, you know, Matt LaFleur was asked this week, if he's a more veteran wide receiver, does he make that mid route adjustment? And LaFleur said, I don't know that, you know, maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe not, Mm -hmm. but he ran the right route on that play. Yeah. You know, Matt LaFleur was very clear to say he didn't do anything wrong per se, but that's, so I wouldn't classify that as one of the mental mistakes, but that's, one of the small things that maybe we've seen a Devonte Adams do in years past, or even a Marquez Valdez Scantling do in years past where they have that rapport with Rogers and they're just on that same page where they can kind of read a defense so well, read what the quarterback is thinking. Um, for example, there was a fourth and one the Packers had against the commanders and uh, Romeo Dobbs ran a, a quick out and Rogers hit him, but the cornerback, kind of read the play two guys tackled him at once broke up the pass Packers turned the ball over on downs Sammy Watkins was supposed to have an outside release on the outside and occupy the cornerback um with outside leverage Sammy ran his route too far inside and the cornerback broke off and Mm -hmm. kind of blitzed the out route if he doesn't do that Romeo Dobbs is only in single coverage gets the fourth and one conversion if Aaron Rodgers holds on to the ball just a second longer Sammy Watkins has a walk-in 60-yard touchdown or whatever it was. Those are just the small things Mm -hmm. like Sammy not occupying the cornerback to the outside enough to make sure he doesn't have enough time to break on the out route or Rodgers maybe noticing the breaking coverage and and hitting Sammy who's wide open. Just those small things we've seen the Packers do so well in years past that aren't clicking right now. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're too far off but they got to get it right because it's getting too late here. They're under 500. They haven't had, I mean, they had four regular season losses last year, but one of those was uh, week 18 against the lions when they didn't play their starters for the whole game, since they already secured the number one seed. They haven't had this many losses, you know, when they play their guys in a regular season under Matt LaFleur, it's, it's getting to, I mean, it already is panic time here Mm -hmm. in green Bay, but we're getting a DEF CON level five and I'll be fascinated to see what they do around the trade deadline. Yeah. It, I mean, if they're three and five, I mean, can you possibly convince yourself that you're a buyer at that point? That's that's very, I know. that's very compelling. Um, I think the defense, because we kind of knew that the offense was had some stuff because the receivers they didn't really address it too crazily in the offseason. Um, but the defense has surprised me because they've got some dudes on that side of the ball. Like Kenny Clark is awesome. Rashawn yeah. Gary is awesome. Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes are a great boundary corner duo. But it just hasn't been, like you pointed out, it just hasn't been consistent through both both halves. So why has that become their identity this season? And 
I know defense is tough, difficult to predict from one year to the next, but I mean, do they feel like they're, they're getting closer to answers or, or where are they right now from that side of things? Yeah. The big story for the first, you know, five weeks of the season was they were playing so much off coverage and Joe Barry, who comes from the Brandon Staley, Vic Fangio tree, his thing is just keep everything in front, make teams dink and dunk their way down the field and, you know, dare them to take that deep shot and hope they make a mistake. And that bit them in the ass the first five weeks of the season. You look, you think back to when they played the Vikings in, in week one and Justin Jefferson went for like 150 yards and two touchdowns mm-hmm. in the first half. And they're playing off. They weren't letting Jair Alexander follow Justin Jefferson. Jair is the highest paid cornerback in NFL history. Um, and teams were just killing them on crossing routes. I think through five weeks of the season, I, I saw a stat. I don't know where it came from, so I apologize for not attributing this properly. But the Packers had allowed more yards on crossing routes through five weeks than any team had on any other route. So they got that fixed. They played tighter, more press man against the Jets in week six, still lost. Um, did the same thing last week against the Commanders, still lost because Terry McLaurin won his matchup with Jair Alexander. They let Jair follow him and Terry McLaurin beat him. Um, mm-hmm. Their run defense still is not good. So it, it's a lot of different things. And like you said, they have Eric Stokes, Darnell Savage, Jair Alexander, Quay Walker, Kenny Clark, Rashawn Gary, six first rounders starting mm-hmm. on defense. And then Devondre Campbell, who was a first team all pro inside linebacker last year, Adrian Amos, uh, who's a good safety, some good pieces on the defensive line. It just hasn't come together. You mentioned Eric Stokes. Their first round pick in 2021, he was really good as a rookie last mm-hmm. year. I think PFF had him targeted 100 times, and he only allowed 51 completions. This year, he's been targeted 23 times for 20 completions. He's mm. been really bad. And we were talking with Joe Barry, their defensive coordinator, yesterday, and I don't know if they can afford to have Jair Alexander follow Stephon Diggs after what happened with Terry McLaurin last week. But then again, if you let Eric Stokes get on him, you're probably screwed as well. So it's not a very enticing matchup for the Packers defense this week. Their weakness certainly is run defense. And we know the Bills don't love to run the ball, mm-hmm. but um, they might have to a little more just to open up that that play action game. Because uh, I saw a stat this week, and I'm sorry for rambling, but I, I think Aaron Reese, our, our guy Aaron Reese, sent me something that said the Packers are allowing – I want to make sure I get this right. Let me let me pull this up. So the Packers have allowed a league worst 60.9% completion rate on passes of 15 plus air yards. Josh Allen ranks second in attempts of 15 plus air yards with 54 and third in completion rate on such attempts with 55.6%. That's a recipe for absolute disaster for the Packers. <laughs> yeah, it um the the Stokes part is is really interesting because bills fans were like pining over that guy last year because they got him pretty late um and they needed a corner at that point it was always kind of up and down with levi wallace but things have kind of turned around there um so basically if if the packers found a formula to win this game because i think we're both kind of on the same page that we don't think they're Mm -hmm. they're going to um if they found the formula to win this game what does it look like yeah, I I think it's 38-17 Bills, so that would require quite the formula to overcome that. <laughs> but then again, I am 2-5 and five this year predicting the outright winner for Packers games. Um, listen, it requires a defensive touchdown, which they got last week against the Commanders and still didn't win with Devondre Campbell's pick six. It requires scoring on their first drive. Like, the Packers are notorious throughout the Matt LaFleur era of – taking a punch and not punching back. Like if the bills go up seven, nothing or 10, nothing or March right down the field on the opening drive easily and score. I don't see the Packers coming back. The Packers have to score first and not a field goal. They got to score the first touchdown. And then at some point score a defensive touchdown or have a big takeaway muff punt deep in bills territory that they convert into convert into seven points. Other than that, I don't see the Packers having any way of stopping the bills uh offense they're going to need to win this one in a shootout if the packers win it's got to be like 31 28 35 31 they're not going to win a defensive battle um 
it's going to take a heroic effort from Aaron Rodgers and Aaron Jones specifically, mm-hmm. and maybe, you know, a wide receiver that we're not expecting a deep shot to Christian Watson. You get my point. I'm saying so much because it's going to require a lot for them to pull off the upset. But I think the two things are scoring first um, and a defensive touchdown and probably a lot more than that. Maybe Amari Rogers finally finding his form, huh? Stop it. That's not going to happen. <laughs> or at least we think. I shouldn't say that. Yeah. yeah all, all signs have pointed to that not very much not happening. Yeah. All right, Matt, thank you so much for, for joining me here. Safe travels into Buffalo. And, uh, and yeah, thanks so much for jumping on the Buffalo beat. We appreciate you. Appreciate you. See you Sunday. All right. That was Matt Schneidman, and we'll be right back after this. All right. Just awesome stuff from Matt. Be sure to check out all his uh, work on the Packers and be sure to follow him over on Twitter. Uh, he is very good at what he does and uh, definitely a, a good guy, too. So, uh, yeah, check all his stuff out over at The Athletic. All right. Let's get into the weekly Shaq Lawson meditation prediction hour. The uh, the Bills are heading into this game heavy favorites. And we're talking heavy favorites. Uh, on Wednesday, they were 11-point favorites. On Thursday, they were 11-point favorites. Today, at time of recording, Friday morning, the Bills are still 11-point favorites with a total on the game at 47.5, which is basically predicting a big victory for the Bills with those those totals and those uh, those odds and also not that many points for uh, Green Bay. So we'll see what happens there. But I think this matchup is a slightly interesting one for the Bills because they're going up against a what should be pretty motivated Packers team. They're three and four on the year. They don't want to fall to three and five. They've got a really tough game against what is probably the best team in the league right now. And what I think is the best team in the league right now in the bills. And they just, they are lacking in, in certain areas. Like they're watching them on offense on film. It's not, it's just not pretty. Like they, they do a lot of smoke and mirror stuff. A lot of their yards gained is on on stuff from uh, pull plays on runs. They're trying to get their running back out wide because they're not really uh, running the ball between the tackles all that well. Uh, a lot of screens, a lot of pick plays. There's nothing really deep down the field happening for the Packers right now, and that's got to be driving Rodgers nuts. There was one play in particular where uh, Romeo Dubs, their rookie receiver, who's getting a ton of time on the field, and he was held without a catch, and he shouldn't have been because there was one play, I believe it was in the first half, where he finds himself wide open, uh, deep on the right sideline, and rather than turning into the open space, for some reason, he continues his route as it was probably prescribed rather than feeling where the coverage was. And he ran himself into coverage of a safety. And Rodgers spotted him deep down the field. I was like, all right, this is the shot. This is a touchdown. And throws it to where Dubs should have been going. And it's probably a touchdown if if those two guys are on the same page. But even still, that's on the receiver. He needs to recognize where the defender is, where the space is, and and get himself in position to make a play because that was a missed touchdown. And those those things are just everywhere on the Packers film. Like Rodgers doesn't look confident behind his line, offensive line. You know, they might not have David Bakhtiari, uh, their their great left tackle. Um the right tackle is leaves a bit to be desired. Uh, their center is, yeah, a young guy uh, who's given them a lot of starts over the last couple of years, but you know has has some difficulties with some uh, with some power and quick footedness. Um, 
So Rodgers just doesn't look all that confident to stand back there a good long while. And then to not have the receivers on top of it. And this is all said without even pointing out that their top receiver, Alan Lazard, who in most years is not a top receiver, is out this game. Who declared himself out this game. He, he said so on Thursday. So basically it boils down to the Bills just needing to stay within themselves because the Packers really aren't trying to push it down the field. He uh, Rodgers doesn't have Randall Cobb, who's injured. Sammy Watkins, he can't run anymore. You know, it's it was seeing what he was in Buffalo and then seeing what he was on film uh, for Green Bay. Just two very different players. Um, Father Time remains undefeated. But it really boils down to Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers. And if you stop Aaron Jones, I'm not sure that the that the Packers have a counterpunch. Now, they might be getting their speedy rookie receiver Christian Watson back this week, but he's been basically a non-factor so, so far into the season. But Aaron Jones is the key here because they like to do so much with him. Uh, they they like to pull and get him outside so that way he can use his speed and uh, his elusiveness on the outside a bit more creatively than he would between the tackles. They line him up as a receiver on the outside. They gave him 10 targets last week, which is a notable change from what they were doing earlier in the season with Aaron Jones. And he caught nine of those, I think, for over 50 yards. Yeah, 53 to be exact. Had a long of 21. Had two receiving touchdowns on the game. The Packers are in a rough way right now on on offense. So the Bills should be able to keep them struggling in this game. That is one thing I'm fairly confident in. The one, the one thing that I'm not as confident in for from a Bills perspective is that they're just going to completely go in there and score a, a ton of points like they did against Pittsburgh or like they did against Tennessee. I think this this Packers defense was supposed to be their calling card, and I think they're they're going to have a game that's closer to their expectations against this against the Bills, even though the Bills are an outstanding offense and they're led by Josh Allen, who's having uh, one of, if not the best seasons of all the quarterbacks in the league, and he sh- he is the the MVP favorite right now. But there are a couple of things that that bother me uh, in terms of where the Bills could struggle. Like, I mentioned it in the lead-up to Matt. Their defensive line is no joke. Rashawn Gary's awesome. Uh, Kenny Clark is... I don't even know if he's underrated, but he... I'm sure not a lot of people that uh, that know the NFL intently have really heard of Kenny Clark, but that dude is a player. And he is so stinking talented. And he is going to give problems to all three, wherever he's lined up, of Ryan Bates, Roger Saffold, and Mitch Morse. He is that good. He's just he's just one of those guys. And then Preston Smith on the other side. Jaron Reed is another one who who gets some, some good uh, pass rushing reps. That's a really good defensive line. And then their linebackers aren't... Are, are solid as well. They got a young guy in Quay Walker who's who's getting a bunch of time for them, but you know he's learning as he's going. Probably has some mental errors still at this point in his career, but you know there's a lot of potential there. And then, of course, the boundary cornerbacks Jair Alexander and Eric Stokes. So I could absolutely see a game where this one feels a little too close for comfort for Bills fans in the early stages, and then. You know, especially because the Packers are, they like to blitz a ton. You know, Rashawn Gary is going to be working against David Quesenberry more than likely. And that's a, that's a matchup that can be won for the Packers. But once the Bills start to get their feet underneath them, I think they'll start to pull away as the game progresses. So I'm not expecting like 40 plus points here. So 
So for my Shaq Lawson meditation prediction hour, I'm going to take the Bills to win this game because I think they're the better team and I think they're the better team by a lot because they're, their defense should be able to thwart what the Packers are trying to do on offense for most of the game. But I'm actually going to take the Packers to cover this massive 11-point spread. Barely, but I'm picking them to, to cover that spread because I think there is enough defensive potential by the Packers to slow the Bills down enough early on to where we get to the late stages of the game and the Bills might be up like, I don't know, 21, 24 points, and they might feel good about that. And then I could definitely see Rodgers and the Packers offense put together some late-game touchdowns for a backdoor cover to make to make this game within the 11-point spread. But even though in the second half, I think there's a good chance it won't it won't feel like it. It won't feel like it's a 10-point game, if that makes sense. So I'm I'm taking the Bills to win. I'm taking the Packers to cover barely, and I'm taking the under. So I, I've got the Bills winning this one by a score of 27 to 17. All right, so uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Buffalo Beat. Not exactly sure when I'll be re- recording the uh, the post game episode. It's either going to be in the wee hours in the morning, or uh, maybe I'll give myself like I don't know an hour or two of sleep and wake up and and record it first thing. But uh, you'll have it at some point on Monday, and then from there uh, we will uh, see if the Bills are six and one, still atop of the AFC, or maybe if. The, uh, the Packers game opens up some additional questions that maybe they'll need to address for the trade deadline. Should be fun. All right. Thank you for listening to uh, this episode. My name is Joe Biscalia. We appreciate you, and we will talk to you after the game. See you then.